All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 5, we've already been over the first two commandments. The first uh, being that we will have no other gods before God. He is God, and the second you shall make for yourself, uh, not make for yourself a carved image. Last week, Chris talked about idolatry. I loved what he said about how, man, when we hear idolatry, we many times think of things which we've constructed, uh, in, the, in this case, a carved image, but going to the depths of what idolatry is, the things that we hold in our heart, the, the passions and the desires of our life that are before him, those being idols and those needing to, uh, to move in order for the one true God to be worshipped. And so this morning, we're going to go into the third commandment. And that third commandment is about the name of God. Now, this commandment is really interesting because this commandment comes with a punishment. We're going to read about that punishment. We're going to read uh, about an actual instance where, where that occurs. But let's just go ahead and read it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, right? This one has a little bit more of a, um, what do you call it? a tone to it, a little bit more serious tone to it. He says, uh, you shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will uh, not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, right? The Lord will know and the Lord will record, the Lord will mark uh, the times and the person that has taken his name in vain. Why in the world is he so concerned about his name. There's a lot of things on the list of things that we could do wrong that I would, it, it, just in my imagination, I would think might be worse than, uh, than simply misusing a name. But God seems to believe that his name is, a, is something of great importance and of great value, right? It, when you read this commandment, it sobers you quickly, does it not? I mean, it's just his name, but he will remember, He knows and will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God holds his name in high, high, high regard. So we've got to figure out why in the world he is that serious about his name. What does it even mean to take his name in vain? I know for me, when I was growing up, to take his name in vain meant to say Jesus or God out of context of worship, right? That was what it was for me to take his name in vain. Uh, we, We see that all the time. Uh, now, I remember when I was a kid growing up again in West Texas, I was in Midland and uh, it's Bible Belt, much like East Texas is. And I remember being in a, uh, in a Christian, I don't know, shop, a bookstore, I guess is what it was. I was little, I don't, uh, but I remember there's this being this t-shirt and on this t-shirt it said, God's last name isn't, right? I'm not going to say it, obviously, <laughs> I remember being so shocked. I'm like, there's a, you know, a curse word in the Christian bookstore, right? And, uh, but, but that's what it said. I don't, I, and that was my idea of what it meant to take God's name in vain, right? Was to, was to use it again, the name of Jesus, the name of God, out of the context of worship. But I believe that it's so much more than that. But the, again, the, the, uh, thing, the question we have to answer is, why does God hold his name in such high regard. So we have to figure out what naming actually is. Now, I brought these, uh, these cards here. Anybody know what these cards are? They're not super big. Right, what, they're name tags, right? If, you, if you're going to get one of these, it's, it means you're at a function where there's probably going to be some awkward conversation because people don't know your name, right? 
I dread going to events where these things are present. <laughs> uh, anyway, what do you put on here? You put on, yeah, you put, you put your name on there. When you write your name, what does it mean? It's who you are? What does that mean? Who you are is in, what do I call you? Or is it more than that? What does your name mean? Anybody ever, ever, anybody ever heard um, people talk about how you have to deserve to carry your name or you can bring shame to your name? You ever heard of that? Why is that? What, what, is, what is a name? Is it just what I'm supposed to call you or is there more? This is, I know normally we don't talk, but we're going to talk this morning. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's your heritage, right? There's your, your family is certainly represented in your name. Where you came from tells a lot about who you are, so that's in your name. What else is in your name? Okay? Yeah, identity is a huge part of that. When, when I say your name, case, it means it's a lot more than just what I call you, but your name is, encompasses who you are, right? Your character is in it, right? Your nature is in it. Your personality, all of that is in your name. So it's so much more than what we tag on a, on a name card or what we refer to each other as. A name is significant. It gives us position. It, a name can have authority in it. It has heritage. It has character, right? All that is in a name. So it's important that we know how we are named if we're going to understand why God's name is so important. So in, uh, in the beginning... In the, in the book of Genesis, we read this, uh, this story as it unfolds, this narrative of, as God creates, and God creates uh, everything, right? And in that creation, He creates man. What do we know man as? What does God name them? Come on, guys. I didn't think... Maybe it's the way I asked it. Okay, yeah, Adam and Eve. Very good, right? <laughs> I'm getting blank stares. Generally means I ask the question in a weird way, so... Yeah, Adam and Eve, right? The word Adam is the Hebrew for mankind, right? God creates Adam and Eve, and uh, the Scripture tells us that Eve is within Adam, that, that she actually comes from within him. God pulls Eve from within Adam. And so when God creates man, and we won't get into all of the details of that, but when God creates man and he names them, uh, he is calling them mankind. But here's, the, here's what's important about that story. God is the one who names mankind. Somebody that is going to nail it on Bible trivia, give me Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. <laughs> all right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very good. I think you all said it. Everybody was mumbling, right? There was nobody that was super confident. And then we had this group that waited till everybody was halfway done and started in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does it mean that God, when God created man, He named them? What does that give God in reference to His relationship with man? What's that? Authority. Authority. Yeah, absolutely. Any parents in here? You named your children, right? That naming is a right, is a privilege of authority given, right? So God creates man and he names them mankind. Now that's important that we understand that in the relationship because it establishes God as the authority. But here's the deal. If all God ever does is remain the authority, then his relationship with mankind is pretty distant, isn't it? 
You ever worked with somebody that, like that or known somebody like that? That there was no interpersonal relationship, they were simply your authority. Anybody? For some of you, that may have been, that may have been parents. For some of you, that could have been, that could have been a boss, that could have been a, a co-worker, where strictly the relationship, or the relationship was strictly in an, author, uh, an authoritative sense. And this is where it really is with God at this point. He names them, it gives him authority. God is before all things. That Genesis 1.1, it is crucial that we understand that is the beginning of all of Scripture. We must first establish that in the beginning, God created. There are only two things on the planet, right? There are only two things that exist, that which is creator and that which is created. And there is only one creator, and it is him, and he existed before all things. And everything that comes after him is under his authority because he created, right? So if we're going to understand why his name is so holy, we have to first set it in context of he is before all things. And he has authority over all things. He has given uh, a name to all things, including, including us. But the beauty is that it doesn't remain that way. It doesn't remain as God simply being this authority figure. If we go to uh, the book of Exodus uh, go in chapter 3, now you know this well. God is in this conversation with Moses. He has appeared to him in the burning bush. And God is speaking to Moses about what he wants Moses to do. He wants Moses to go into the land of Egypt, and he wants Moses to rescue his people. And Moses, with it's just a profound question. I think we think it's kind of maybe in context, I don't know how you've read it before. We think maybe Moses asking, who shall I say sent me? Maybe kind of a silly question. He's sitting there talking to a burning bush. Obviously, Almighty God is right in the middle of it. This is a supernatural experience. But why does Moses ask, who shall I say sent me? It's, a, it's not a question of, I need a name. It's a question of authority. Because Moses is going into, uh, probably at this point on the earth, the most powerful man. Pharaoh, at this point, uh, in terms of world powers, Pharaoh is probably the most powerful man on the planet. And God has just asked Moses to go in. And what Moses needs is not not a name card to pass, but what Moses needs is an authority to give. I have to come under some authority. And so Moses asks, who do I say sent me. And what's God's reply? You guys probably heard this story before. What is God's reply? I am that I am. God's reply is, I am that I am. He sets himself apart as God in this statement. That name that he uses in Exodus chapter 3, that story, if you have never read that story, it's in uh, that portions, verse 13 through 15. But God uses the name Jehovah, meaning I am that I am. Now here's what's Here's what's so crucial about this, that in the beginning, God named Adam and Eve, and if we read the the context of the story, God from the very beginning not only creates, but He relates to that which He created. You with me? God doesn't just establish Himself as an authority figure. God comes into relationship with that which He has created. It doesn't change the fact that He has authority, but He comes into relationship with that which He has created. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He related to them continually. And here, as He sends Moses under authority, what does He give Moses? He gives Moses His name. 
He gives Moses his name in this relational context. He's given Moses authority to go to Pharaoh, but he's also given Moses a name, a relational name in which to go not only to Pharaoh, but to go to the people of God and say, Yehovah has sent me to rescue you. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing about God. God could have created, stepped back, and set all things into motion. But God... Desire. This is where we begin to see some of his character, some of his heart. God's desire from the very beginning is not just to be authority. Nothing will change that. That's not up for question. All that would ever question God's authority will someday answer to his ultimate authority. His authority is not up for question. But what God did in establishing his authority is he also came and made relationship with that which he had created. The giving of God's name to His people is an expression of God's heart. The fact that His people were able to carry His name through the desert, were able to to carry His name in front of Pharaoh, were able to carry His name and say, this is the one, not only who has created all things, and not only the one who has brought Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, into a separate place to glorify His name, but His name is Yehovah, and He has come to me to rescue me and us. It's an expression of the heart of God. Listen, as the people of God, we've got to capture that. We've got to capture that God has given us His name. That the authority, the Creator, that which has preeminence over all things, has an ex- as an expression of His heart and love and relationship, has given us His name and asked us to come into relationship with the person of God who has a name. Yeah? Is that good news? That is extremely, extremely good news. So, what does this name give us? See, for the children of Israel at that point, that name was everything. That name was the end of 400 years of slavery. We've talked about that before. Can you imagine a culture of 400 years of slavery? Anybody ever seen the movie 12 Years a Slave? Uh, If you haven't seen it, I would just tell you it is worth your time. Is a, is a phenomenally done uh, movie. It's intense, extremely intense. Uh, but it captures, I think, in a brilliant, brilliant way, something that I could never even imagine, the culture of slavery. How, how severely twisted and bent a mind and a will and an emotions would get in a culture of slavery. And that's what these people were in for 400 years. And so for them, the giving of the name of God, Yehovah, was not, it was, it was representative of relationship. It was their rescue. This was the one who was going to call them out of everything that they hated, of everything that they'd been subject to. This meant freedom for them. So what does that name give us? I'm going to do a little, uh, I'm telling you, we're all crazy this morning. I want you to read some passages, all right? So I'm just going to name, I've got four passages that I want us to read. Now, in, in, in the... Uh, for the Hebrew people, what began to happen is that the name of God is so holy, um, they began to refer to Him in many ways as just the name. So they would not say Yehovah, but they would say this word Hashem, and that word, that, that just means the name, but it's referring to the holy name. So in the scriptures, uh, there's, there's many, 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 many different names for God, but sometimes you'll see this word Hashem, and it just means the name. In the English, in your Bible, it will look like the name or His name. That's where that is. That's a, that's a defining of Yehovah. So that will be in here sometimes. So let's just read what this name gives us. So somebody grab Psalm 102.15. Just say it if you've got it. Just 
Tell me you're going to read it. I'm going to read them all, and then we're going to go through. Okay, Lloyd, Psalm 102.15. Somebody, Proverbs 18.10. Proverbs 18.10, okay. Isaiah 30.37. All right. And Micah 4.5. All right, Micah 4.5. I thought people would be quiet on that. Where's Micah? Okay, Lloyd, are you ready? Psalm 102.15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. All right, so what does the name give <laughs> us there? Come on, listen to it. Lloyd, will you read it again? Yeah. All right, so what does it give us? Authority, there's authority in it. Come on, push a little harder. Starts with a P. Ooh, almost. I'm going to give you the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. It gives us protection. It gives us authority, it gives us protection, right? We have aligned ourselves into the one whom all knees will bow, right? All right, next, Proverbs 18.10. Now, we, that was a little shaky, so now you know the game, so let's try that a little bit better next time. Proverbs 18.10. All right. There's protection. That means twice. <laughs> what else? Yeah, there's refuge. I love that word. Anybody ever need a refuge? What do you think of when you think of refuge? Yeah, an escape. So in, in the Old Testament, if you read the law, designated what's called cities of refuge. You ever read about these, these cities of refuge? And basically the idea was if accidentally you were to kill somebody, uh, you could flee before retribution would come to you. You could flee to a city of refuge. And in that city of refuge, you would be safe. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the relief of a man who was running because the retribution would mean the end of his life, who was running? Can you imagine the relief that would come when he would walk into a place of refuge? Yeah? I believe it's the same relief that we have when those moments when we run into the heart of God, when we run into His presence and His character, that relief that comes over our entire being, that we are in the place where refuge really is. Yeah? All right, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 37. Did I, did I do something wrong? Ha <laughs> ha, okay. There's no 37. All right, Micah, four or five. <laughs> Okay, this one's a little trickier. What does it give you? Say again? Possession of? Okay. I know that sounds weird to say, but that's good. 
Yeah, it's good. Why endurance, Lord? What else does it give you? What did Moses get to do? He got to, he, he got to carry his name. What does that, that passage says something that says it a little different? Come on. I know it's the way I'm asking the questions, but. We get to finish. There it is. <laughs> what does that mean? Like carry his name, right? That's what Moses got to do. Moses got to leave that encounter with God, and he got to walk in his name. Who shall I tell them? Sent me. I am that I am. Now, everything that, every step that Moses takes away from that burning bush and towards uh, the rescue of God's people, and in the rescue of God's people, and away from Egypt, and into the Red Sea, and into the wilderness, every step that he takes is a step of obedience, meaning he's walking in his name. And when he walks in his name, the name of God, the person of God, is going to accompany him for all of this. Yeah? Yeah? That's the beauty of obedience, that all we've really got to do, walk in his name. You know what Jesus would say? He'd say, abide. Jesus liked to make things simple, right? So abide. When we abide, when we walk in his name, we submit ourselves under his authority, but when we submit under his authority, we get all the benefits of carrying his name. The authority, the protection, the refuge, strong tower, we get possession of him and we get endurance. So we haven't answered the question that we really set out to ask, though, or set out to answer. Why is his name so important? We're beginning to understand it. Number one, Genesis 1-1, it's so important because he is the only one. He is the only one that can legitimately be called Yehovah. He is the only one that is the creator, right? He's given his name to his people. But what does blasphemy of his name look like? I want you to read this in the Old Testament, and then we're going to talk about it in our context. So go to Leviticus and go to chapter 24. We're going to read a story where his name is blasphemed and you're going to see uh, this third commandment really come to life. It is a sobering passage. Just get ready. This is a bit of a tough passage, but Leviticus chapter 24. All right, and I've got to move. We've got to move quickly. Sorry, I was chit-chatting too much at the beginning. Okay, Verse 10 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to read 10 through 16, and I'm going to read verse 23. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shimeleth, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Look at verse 23. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out 
uh, of the camp, the one who had cursed and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. So the fulfillment of what God spoke in that third commandment is played out here in reality. This young man and another were, were fighting, and in the, in the midst of this fight, there's not a lot of context to why the fight uh, began. It's thought that it could have been an, uh, an ethnic fight because of the ethnicity of the young man, uh, his father being Egyptian. There's no real context here for that. All we know is that at some point, at some point, this man curses the name of God, and uh, again, the third commandment comes to fruition as that punishment is death. So we know that, that in that story, we know what cursing the name meant. But what does that look like in our culture? What is, it, what is taking the name of God in vain? What is blaspheming His name? What does it look like? I, I've, uh, this is kind of one of my, I guess, pet peeves. Uh, but it really will come out in one of two ways. Blaspheming the name of God will be either, it'll either come out as we flippantly take his name. You guys know what flippantly means, right? Casually. Or when we use it untruthfully. So it's not just when we curse his name, right? It's not just when we tag a, a curse word onto it. That's not what, it's not all that encompasses taking the name of God in vain. I would say that that would fall into this category of flippancy, of both flippancy and being untruthful. I want to show you a few things that I found. I just did some quick searching on this, some things that I've seen, maybe you've seen as well. Can you go ahead and show some of those pictures? Do we have them? Are there any pictures on there? Okay. I'm going to see if I can show them for you. Let's see here. Nope. Okay, I'll just have to tell you what I was going to show you. Anybody ever heard of Jesus is my homeboy? Yeah? It's a shirt with an image of Jesus. I don't know. Not a, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, but it's, it's a very casual approach, right, to the name of Jesus. He's wearing in all of these images. I wish I, I'm sorry, I wish I had the image. But in all of these images, he's wearing the crown of thorns. There we go. There's one. Well, he's not wearing them there. So there's one more. You found, there's another one? Okay, there's a, this is not the same, but uh, this was, a, I don't know, maybe two years back. Kanye West, uh, the passion of Kanye West. He now refers to himself, I think, as uh, Jesus. I don't, I'm, look, I don't know what all that means. But, um, and, and, and it's not just Kanye West, uh, but, but this is what I mean. This is the flippancy at which our culture approaches Jesus, right? Sad thing is, it's not just our culture, right? It's just right in the church, right? We, we, one of the things I've heard now, and if you have said this, don't, I'm not condemning you, but I hear all the time this phrase, Jesus juke, yeah? You've heard this, a Jesus juke, yeah? Some nods, maybe not everyone, right? But, but here, here all, all I'm saying is, there's flippancy in, I, that's crazy that I know something you guys know. That's right, that's how hip I am, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm up on things. So, yeah, cutting edge, right? So, but this is what I'm saying. Culturally, this is the way we flippantly take Jesus. But here's the deal. You know what, what we normally do as a church is we point to culture. You can take all that, thanks. We point to culture and we, and, and we condemn culture. But I want to tell you, this flippancy is not just in culture. We've got to examine it for ourselves. 
And we've got to begin to ask the question, how do we flippantly take the name of Jesus? How do we casually approach this holy name of God? How do we flippantly approach him? The other way that, we, that it happens is untruthfully, where we tag the name of God, where we tag the person of Jesus, whatever it looks like, where we tag them onto a, a case, or tag them on to make our case for something that is absolutely contrary to his nature. It's happened over and over and over in culture. In Nazi Germany, they, they trumpeted the name of God. Yeah? Absolute atrocities, according to the heart of God. But his name was tagged into it. It's happened over and over and over again in our culture. It's happened in, in slavery. Again, in this, uh, we watched the movie last night, so it's fresh. But, but there's, there's a scene where, uh, where this, this man is reading uh, to this group of slaves. He's reading Scripture, and he closes the Bible, and, and he, he talks about them being uh, submissive and obedient to him. And he closes the Bible, and he says, See, it's Scripture justifying the cause of slavery according to Scripture. Now, again, this is culturally, and we can point our finger at culture, but what we've got to do is we've got to go, man, anything that happens culturally has first happened individually. So we're not free from... Uh, we don't have blame here. What, how do we tag the name of God to things that are not necessarily in his heart? How do we flippantly approach him? These are the two ways, I, I believe, that are most prominent in taking his name in vain. But what I didn't want to do this morning is I didn't want to leave it there. I didn't want to leave you with this third commandment is all about condemnation because it's absolutely not. There is tremendous consequence for the blaspheming of the name of God. But here's the good news, that there is the opposite to that. The reason that God gave such a sobering commandment about carrying his name is because we actually get to carry his name and all of the benefits that come with that, right? It would be like me, uh, who, anybody in here like fast cars? Anybody? All right. So it would be like me saying, Lloyd, uh, man, outside is a brand new Ferrari to you. Now, I, he almost got up. That's good. But I can't afford that. So, <laughs> Right? I might say, now please be careful. Why would I say please be careful? Because the gift is of supreme value, right? I've given you something tremendous. And so I would say, please be careful because I need to sober you to how uh, precious this gift is. So that's what the third commandment is. It's not just don't do this. It's a warning because of what we get to carry is so precious. God's not just saying, don't take my name in vain and standing back from us. He's saying, I'm actually giving you my name. Know the power that comes with holding and carrying my name. Now listen to what Jesus would say. In Matthew chapter 28, again, you've probably heard all of these passages before, but take them into context now with his name. This is the Great Commission in, in verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus give his disciples at that point? The authority to carry the name of God. See, right there, he says to his disciples, go and baptize in his name. He hands the disciples the authority that Jesus carried as he walked on the earth. And he said, now it's your turn. Carry this same power, this same authority. We know he meant this because he told them to wait for it. 
He told him to wait for it at Pentecost when, it would, when this power and authority would come and carry this name of God, which now I have died and been raised from the grave to give you. You now get to carry his name to all the nations of the earth. It's a valuable, valuable gift that we get to carry his name. Now go to Luke chapter 11. I want to show you this and then we'll be done. So this is, again, we've heard these passages before, but look at verse 2. Now, this is the Lord's Prayer, all right? Listen to the way that Jesus begins. And his disciples, uh, they want to know how to pray. I love this, and when I, this really blew it open for me when I, in terms of understanding prayer. Think about the magnitude of the question that the disciples would ask. They have watched Jesus do ministry for the last three years, right? They've watched. Think about what they've seen. They've seen unbelievable miracles. They've seen unbelievable things at the hands of this man, Jesus. And what is their one question? Teach us to pray. You think there's power in prayer? What did, they, you know, what did they watch him do? They watched him go in secret to his father. They watched him pray, and they watched him do what he did, and they connected the dots. There's something between, uh, or there's something in this time that this man spends with his father and the release of power that comes in his life. Teach us to pray. I believe that should be our prayer, our question now. Holy Spirit, teach us to pray. But listen to the way that Jesus answers the question. All right, and he said to them, when you pray, say this. He begins, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. In other portions, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But look at the way that it's phrased. Father, holy be your name. Who is the one that hallows his name? If you take this apart, English people. What's the, Lindsay, help me. What's the pronoun? I don't know. I'm not going (laughs) to. It's been a while. Who is the one that does the hallowing? Does that make sense? That's right. Isn't that a strange statement? So when when you pray, he's not just saying acknowledge the holiness of God's name. He says a petition to God for God to continue to make his name holy, right? It's an acknowledgement and a request at the same time, but the request goes to the Father. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, Father, help us to make your name holy. He says, Father, you're the one that makes your name holy holy. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The the purpose for which we exist is that right there. We're praying into that purpose, that his kingdom would cover the earth. That's why we're here. We're a city set on a hill, that his kingdom would cover the earth. That is why you're alive, that in your worship with him, his glory would spread all over the earth. That's why he's in you, and that's why you exist on the planet, but he's the one that does the work. The acknowledgement in Jesus's prayer is that your name is holy and you're the one that makes it so. You understand this? 
If at any point you believe that somehow in you, in your achievement, in what you're going to do in spreading the gospel is going to make his name any more holy, you've way elevated yourself and you've blasphemed his name. He is the one that will do the work. But here's the power of that. That draws us to take refuge in him. Stay with me. That draws us to take refuge in him. If we know that he is the one that's going to do the work of making his name holy and covering the earth with it, then we will go, okay, now I'm going to submit to your purposes. And as I submit to your purposes, as I'm obedient to what you would have me do, I get to carry that holy name. And I will carry it carefully because it is a precious thing that I get to walk in obedience to you. Remember I said that when Moses turned away from the burning bush, that every step he took was under the name of God. It's because Moses acknowledged the purpose of God and walked in obedience, and that's the exact same thing that God has asked us to do. You cannot, in your effort, make his name more holy, but you can carry his holy name wherever you go. And that's done as we walk in obedience to Christ. Amen? So let's pray. Well, God, I pray that in this room that you might sober us to the holiness of your name. That it is not just something we call you, God, but it is who you are. You're a creator. You're the beginning, the end. You're before all things. You're endlessly deep. God, I pray that we would recognize the power that you've given us in allowing us to carry your name. It's no wonder that you went through such a great effort to cleanse us from our wickedness, to cleanse us from our sins, to clean us, that you might allow us as clean vessels to carry your name. And I pray that maybe for the first time we would see that as an unbelievable honor as an unbelievable privilege to walk under the name of the King of Kings, the one who is strong tower, the one who is a refuge, the one who is the ultimate authority, our protector, our provider. What an honor it is for us as your people to carry your name. And God, with that honor, we say to you, we'll go wherever you want us to go because the honor is not in where you want us to go. It's in the fact that you have called us. And so we just submit to you under your authority and ask that you would make your name holy and that we would be obedient as you call us into that holiness covering the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed, not released.